Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Isn't it great to have Dan back with us today? And I appreciate I, I gave him a call on Thursday and said, hey Dan, we, we could really use you this week if you could come up. And so he, he and Aaron drove up, they left at uh, Pennsylvania 7 o'clock last night to be here to do this for us today. So yeah, be sure you connect with them and say thank you to him for that. Um, well, let me ask you a question. Think right now, what is something that you would say is essential in life, something that is absolutely essential in life. And I'm actually going to ask you to respond. What would you say are some things that are essential? Kelly. Love, love is essential. Okay. We would say you, you can live without love, can't you? But you can't live the way you want to live without love. Right. Way in the back. Oxygen. 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 Yeah. You don't live very long without that, do you? Yes, uh, Carla. God. Okay, God. It is absolutely true, but we might not know that. I mean, it's possible for a person not to be aware of that, right? But definitely, yes. Water, H-T-O, yeah. Anybody else? Food, that's right. You can live for quite a while without food, but eventually you won't, will you? It is essential at some level. Clothing? Clothing? <laughs> yeah, it's essential if we want to have any kind of a life that's, uh... I didn't go there. <laughs> yes. Anybody else? Essential? That's it. Sleep, yeah. In fact, happens when, when people have a situation where they can't sleep for whatever reason, eventually that really can, eventually people can die from that. That's right. Yeah. What else? Air. air. Yeah. Oxygen, air. Yeah. What else? The Bible. Yeah. But people can live without it, can't they? They shouldn't. And they don't have the kind of life they'd like to have without it, but they can. Okay, so for your body, your heart to keep beating. That's right. When it stops beating, it has a way of shutting everything down, doesn't it? Okay? Uh, I'm surprised. I was waiting for Alicia to say coffee. <laughs> you thought about it, but you just, yeah. Yeah. For some people, it seems like coffee is essential, right? I'm not going to argue with you right now because some of you may not have had your coffee yet, so I'm not going to argue with you about it. So there are some things that are essential in our life, and sometimes there are things that we think are essential but really aren't, probably. You know, they're essential to the kind of life we'd like to have, but they aren't essential for life. But today we're going to talk about something that the Bible says is essential. It is crucial if you're going to have a relationship with God that you want to have. Now this summer, we are going to be... Um, with the exception of a few Sundays here and there, we're going to be looking at this topic of faith. And, and except for today, we're going to be looking at Bible characters and, and how some aspect of faith is demonstrated in their lives. Uh, but today, we're going to just look at a passage of Scripture to help us understand this truth. So essential faith. Let's take our Bibles and turn 
to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. A bunch of you would have known if I had said, hey, what chapter do we want to go to if we want to talk about faith? And a bunch of you would have known to say Hebrews chapter 11. If you didn't know before, you know it now. Uh, many, many examples of faith in, in how God worked in response to people's faith, what they experienced. Um, and so today we're just going to look at the introduction to this chapter. Hebrews chapter 11. By the way, we're on, uh, we encourage you, if you don't have a Bible of your own, to take one out of the, the, underneath the chairs there in front of you. Then follow along. We'll be on page, starting on page 1381. All right, so it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, being dead, he being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And so we see here in these verses, this goes right back to the very beginning, the book of Genesis. He starts talking about faith. And so let's just let's work our way through here just a little bit, and then we'll get to the verse we want to focus on. Back to verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And, and I think the idea is this, that, that um, when we believe something, it changes the dynamic in our lives. And if it's something that we're hoping for but we don't currently have, the fact that we are believing makes it real to us, doesn't it? Okay, uh, now we'll talk more about faith in a minute to help you with that. But it gives some substance to that belief. Uh, if we're talking about believing things that we don't see, and we, we believe those things and we act on those things and live a certain way, and, and we begin to see the evidence for the reality of those things which are not seen. Faith is what brings those things about. And then he says the elders obtained a good testimony, that he, and he's going to go back, as he's doing, going back to the very beginning to talk about their testimony. Verse 3, he says, it is by faith that we understand that God made everything out of nothing. Okay, That's, that requires faith, and so we believe that. It's by faith that we believe that. Verse 4, I'm not going to go into the story, but Abel and Cain, the, the first two boys that we see in the Bible, brothers, uh, Abel responds to God, he believes God and does what God wants him to do. Cain does his own thing. And so Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God. Okay, and so that's his testimony. Enoch uh, lived 365 years, and he didn't die. At the end of 365 years, it says the Lord took him. And it says here in verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken away, so that he did not see death, when was not found, because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he what? What's it say? Pleased God, that he pleased God. Now, this brings us to verse number 6. And it says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. So Enoch has this testimony. He pleased God. 
And now the author here says, okay, without faith, it is not unlikely that you will please God. It is what? Impossible. It is impossible. God cannot be pleased apart from our faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, I, uh, for years, as I would look at this verse, I was thinking uh, that this is a requirement which God has mandated. But I, I look at this again, and I don't think that that's necessarily so. Because here's the deal. It says, if you're going to come to God, you must believe that God exists. That he is, that he exists. Would you come to God if you didn't believe he existed? No, why would you, right? There's nothing to come to if you don't believe that. So he's, he's saying, here's the deal. For a person who comes to God and wants to start a relationship with God, for that to happen, they must believe that God exists. So a relationship with God must start with faith. A very simple faith. I just believe that you exist. Okay? Not only that, also that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so here, here's a, it's, it's a, this is also just a logical um, understanding of this, because if you didn't think it, was be, it would be a good thing to come to God, would you do it? It's not, I know I ask trick questions. This is not a trick question. If you thought coming to God would not be a good thing, would you do it? No. In fact, that's why sometimes people don't come to God, because they have this perception about what that would mean, and they don't come to God. Okay. So people who come to God believe at least two things. They believe, first of all, that he does exist, and secondly, that he's worth coming to. He's worth seeking. He, he, there's a reward for seeking him. Okay. And so he's telling us here that without faith, you cannot please God. And then he just goes back. He says, because even from the very beginning of any kind of relationship with God, it has to start with faith. You've got to believe something. You believe he exists. You believe he's worth, worth coming to know and seeking to know. And so we see this, that when it comes to pleasing God, faith is essential. It's not optional. Faith is essential. And then, of course, we build on all of those things and everything goes from there. We might say, well, okay, this idea of faith is essential. I, I, I got to have faith to please God, but aren't there some things I have to do to please God? Well, that could make a real good trick question, which I'm not going to ask. But um, the idea is this, that yes, there are plenty of things you can do that please God, but none of them will please God if faith isn't in the mix. Does that make sense? In other words, you can do lots of things and it's not based on faith. It's not motivated by faith. He says, those, if, if you're doing that, it's what? Impossible to please God. And this is where a lot of people find themselves in life, trying to do lots of things. Do this, do that, do another thing to somehow really please God, but it isn't mixed with faith. And it's impossible to please God in that situation. So, we need to know what faith is, don't we? What is faith? 
And it's, you know, probably lots of ways you could try to explain it. But here's how I've come to understand faith as I look at the scriptures. There are there's two aspects of faith that have to come together for this to be what the Bible would call a living faith, a faith that's alive and vibrant, the kind of faith that God is looking for. And and I'll uh, use a couple of fancy words here. One is the the intellectual. No, let's go back from there. I'm not ready for that, Stephen, yet. This intellectual uh, knowing aspect to faith, and then there is a volitional choosing aspect of faith. Okay, So what I mean by this is that there are some things that you must know. In other words, when you have faith, it's based on something that you have come to know. Now, when I say no, that doesn't necessarily mean it's always, it's definitely established fact. If you talk about a scientific proof or anything like that, but, but it's something that in your mind has come, you've come to know. This is logical. This makes sense to me. I understand. I have this idea, these facts, okay? And so there's a knowing part, but that is not faith. That is not faith. And then there is, what has to be added to it is this choosing. And what it is, okay, I know this, I know this, and now I choose to trust it, it's true. By the way, I live. I'm actually going to live by it. And so there's a little equation for you. Know plus choose to trust, that's what faith is. And so when you have faith, it's because you've arrived at a conclusion about something and you've chosen now to trust it, to, to live like it's true. Uh, how many of you today had faith in the brakes in your car? Some of you didn't even think about it, did you? Right? But you did. You had faith in the brakes in the car. The idea is, some of you know exactly how the brakes work, and the rest of you just know, well, you push the pedal and the car stops. But for what it's worth, you, you believe, you, you, you had this knowledge that if you push the brake pedal, the car will stop. Now we know that this isn't a perfect world and that doesn't always happen, right? But nonetheless, you're exercising faith in that. And by getting in the car and driving, you have made a decision to trust that the brakes are going to work. I don't think that there's, and I hope there isn't, I don't think there's anybody here today who says, my brakes don't work at all. Let's go for a drive. No, we, we believe that those brakes are going to work. We, we come to some knowledge about that, and now we've made a decision to choose to trust it. And so it is with faith in God. Faith about anything related to God. It's, it's more than just knowing I'll tell you what, it's easy for us sometimes to go through life knowing things that we do not then choose to trust. It'd be like, be like you saying, yeah, I know my brakes are in great condition, but you know, I just, I'm not getting in that car. Not doing it. You know the brakes are good, you know, but you're not doing what? Making a decision to trust so you don't have faith. Same thing in our relationship with God. It's knowing and learning things and then making a conscious decision to Trust those things. So what is it that we uh, want God to be pleased with? What do we want God to be pleased with? Well, I think it's really two things. We want God to be pleased. I'll say it this way. You want God to be pleased with you and with what you do. That pretty much covers it, doesn't it? Okay. You want God to be pleased with you and with what you do. So let's talk about uh, each of these two things. First one, so for God to be pleased with you, 
requires faith. How do we know that? How do we know that? Yeah, the Bible says, there's a safe answer, right? What do we read? But without faith, it is impossible to please God. So for God to be pleased with you as a person, as a human being, requires faith. You see, because there's a problem. And I talk to you about this to some extent every week. So bear with me as we talk about this again. There may be someone here today who hasn't heard this before, who doesn't understand it. It might be somebody watching who needs to hear and understand this. There is a rift between human beings and God, isn't there? Okay? We've all, as human beings, we, we, we're born with this nature that makes us want to do our own thing, uh, not have anybody else tell us what to do. We're self-centered. Uh, that's the, and that's, we're born with that nature, and then we live it out. <laughs> and, and we, the Bible calls these things sin when we don't live the way God tells us that we ought to live. That sin has separated us from God. If we die in that condition, we will be guilty before God and separate Him from ever in a place called hell. Okay, that's what the Bible says. The Bible also tells us that God loved us so much that he didn't want us to go to hell. Instead, he wants a relationship with us. In fact, that's he made us to have a relationship with him. That's his desire. And he loved us so much that he sent his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world. And he lives this perfect and sinless life. And then as he goes to the cross, God the Father takes all of my sins and of all of your sins and places it on Christ, and he dies there paying the penalty for our sins. All right? So what we see is this, that there's this rift between us and God. But God has done everything on his side for reconciliation to occur. Now, reconciliation is where two parties, or more, but two come together, right? And, and they come back together when they're separated. They reconcile. Well, God has done everything on his side. The scripture tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But I want you to see, God was in, in Christ, in his son there, as he died, doing his whole part to bring reconciliation. Jesus rises from the dead. So what's left? It's our response, isn't it? And if we are going to please God in a way that allows us to have a relationship with God, what's it going to require? Faith. Okay, And so we see this stated very clearly. Uh, the Apostle Paul is having a conversation with the, the jailer in Philippi. And the jailer says this in Acts 16. He says, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, believe. Go ahead and go to that verse if you would there, Stephen. What must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What? Place your faith in Christ. Okay? That's as it is. It's believe that for yourself. So what do we know? We know that, that there is a God who exists. I know that he is a holy God. I know that I am not holy, that I have sinned against a holy God. And I, I struggle with continuing to do that. And, and so I'm separated from God. And if I die in this condition, I'll be separated forever. And I know this. And then I know that Jesus died for my sins and rose again from the dead. 
right? And that if I will receive the Savior, my sins will be forgiven. I'll have eternal life. He'll move in and begin changing my life. I know these things. What must I do to be saved? I must what? Personally choose to trust that. That's the way I'm going to live my life. And we turn away from everything else and turn to the Lord Jesus. And this is how he set it up. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. Yeah, not of that, not of yourselves. Let's go to that verse if you would there, Stephen. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's about coming to God through faith. Believing. There's not a thing you can do to fix it except to believe, to place your faith. That is it. Now, we're talking about wanting God to be pleased with us. I want him to be pleased with me. Be pleased with you. Ephesians talks about what happens when we come to Christ, that we come to Christ and we're put into Christ. And in chapter 1, it says this, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. I want you to understand something. And I don't usually say this, but the moment you receive Jesus as Savior, God is forever pleased with you. Let that sink in. He may not be pleased with what you do, but he's pleased with you. He feels about you the way he felt about Jesus when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When you mess up, he's going to call you and say, hey, let's look at this. Let's work on this. But man, you're mine. I am. Doesn't that just kind of change everything? It does for me. God is forever pleased with you once you receive Christ as Savior. All right, so he's pleased with you. Now we want to talk about what about what we do. For God to be pleased with what you do, surprise, surprise, also requires faith, okay? We know this. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, it says this, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, usually in the New Testament, when they're talking about using the word walk this way, what do they mean? Now, we've been over this a lot of times, so what's it mean? Some of you need your coffee? Is that the deal? When the Bible talks about walking, what's it usually mean? How you live your life, that's right. Live your life that way. And so he says this, the same way you receive Christ, the same way you got saved, the same way you got reconciled to God, Live that way. Well, how does that work? Well, what it is, is you came to know some certain things that were true, and then you did what? You made a decision to trust that and live like it's true. You just live the rest of your life that way, same way. Learn from God. Learn about God. Be in his word, learning what it says about him and, and what he's like and what he desires and what's important uh, from God's perspective. Learn all those things and then choose to live that way. Same thing. See how it's the same way? When we are saved, we came to know and then we chose to trust and live that way. Same thing as a Christian life. Anything you learn about how a Christian is supposed to live, I know that, choose to trust. This is, this is the way I'm going to live. Live the same way you got saved. Well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? Live 
the same way you got saved. Uh, and this makes sense. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We live our lives as Christians, not based on, oh, everything that we can figure out, but by faith. So we know enough. We have enough evidence, and we say, I'm choosing to trust. And that means I'm going to live this way. So for God to be pleased with you and what you do requires faith. Pretty simple, straightforward. We say, well, how do I live this? <laughs> right? Let's get practical. How do I live this out? So I ask the question, is there a simple, straightforward way we can live that will please God then? We know it requires faith, but what can we do? And so what I did is I just went back here and said, well, let's look at this verse again. Let's look at it again. But without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God, two things, must believe that he is and believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that phrase, I just, to me, this sums up that, that God is worth seeking, right? It would be worth it. It's worth it to seek God. All right. Could this possibly serve as a, a template for a simple, straightforward way how to live our lives as Christians? I think so. Let, let's talk our way through this. So we're talking about if a simple, straightforward way to please God is to live like you believe God exists. Live like you believe God exists. And then live like you believe God rewards those who seek him diligently. Okay, so now let's go have coffee and donuts. We're all done, right? Yeah, now let's talk about this a little bit. Let's go back and think about this. If God exists, how important is he? I mean, you think about it. How big are you in this? How big, how big are you in this building? Are you smaller than this building? How big are you in the state of Massachusetts? You're even smaller. How big are you in the United States? You're even smaller. How big are you in the whole world? Okay, how big is the whole world in comparison to the whole universe? <laughs> How big are we? I'm important. I'm so important. What I think, what I do, what I... No, if God exists, right? He's bigger than all this. He's more powerful. He's, he's a creative God. He's a designer. He knows everything. And this just makes sense. Wow. I need to live like God exists then. I need to live... Like he exists. And so what would it mean to live like he exists? Well, I think one of the things it means is that, that what life is about gets decided by God, not by me. Right? You don't get to decide what life is about. I mean, you get to decide how you live it, but you don't get to decide what your life is supposed to be about. Your life should somehow rather be about God and who he is. And, and doing the things that he wants to. And that's what your life should be about. That's what it should be devoted to. Uh, how about right and wrong? If there's a God who created thing, he has a design for everything and how it's supposed to work, who gets to decide what's right and wrong? But I would challenge you and say that you and I every day may make some decisions about what's right and wrong without acting like God exists. You know, how about in the area of your money? 
And just let me say to you, you know, I, I often use your money as examples. And, and people, when they, they, you know, talk about church, they, oh, they want your money. Uh, I like your money. I mean, I'll just be honest, right? I like it when you give. But that's not the reason I talk about it. How much of your life is affected by your money? What you think about your money, what you do with your money. what It's a lot, isn't it? And Jesus even said where your treasure is, your heart's going to be. So see, money is a great thing to talk about. So if there's a God, he exists. And does he have anything to say about my money? Yeah, he would, wouldn't he? Because he's the one who, he has his purpose, his plan. He's God. He created all things. So I need to look and say, what, what's up with that? Uh, then about, how about decisions? Important decisions you make in life. And I'm not talking about today when you go out here, uh, you know, to uh, the refreshments as to whether or not you're going to get a piece of coffee cake or a munchkin. I don't think God much cares which you choose. We're talking about any decisions in life that are significant. Well, if God exists, what difference? Should that make a difference in this decision? It sure should, right? How about what you're doing with your life, your whole life, your career, your, your plans, all of those things? That should be people. How about your relationships with people? I mean, you see, the fact that God exists should come to bear on every one of those areas of your life. But you know, it's very easy for us to bump along through life without even giving a thought that God's there. Uh, do you agree with me on that? I mean, hopefully we don't. We can learn not to. But it's easy to. So we need to go through life with this conscious awareness that God exists. He's real. And, and he has purposes and plans and, and on and on it goes. All right, so live like you believe God exists. Then live like you believe God rewards those who seek him diligently. What do we mean when we talk about seeking God diligently? Well, part of it is the idea of seeking a closer relationship with God. I want to know you. I want you to, to know you, God. I want to know what your heart is about things. I want to know the truth about the world that I live in, the truth about me. That one's kind of painful sometimes, but I want to know it. I want to understand. And so we're seeking him. I want to know how you want me to live. We're seeking him in those things. Uh, and we step out in faith and live those ways. We're seeking him. We're going to get a greater knowledge of him. So, you know, we're going to have to be in his word to do that. Are there things you can learn about God outside of his word? Yes. The Bible tells us that. You can learn that he's there, that he exists, that he is big, that he's powerful. And you can follow that logical train of thought and realize how much of a difference it makes in your life. But God in his word has revealed all the rest that we need to know. Who God is, what he's like. And so if we're going to seek him, that means we're going to spend time in his word. We're going to read his word. And we're going to read it again. And we're going to read it again. And we're going to ponder what's in it, meditate on it, think about it. How does this apply to my life? We're going to talk to God about it. God, I don't even get what you're saying here. God, I get what you're saying here, and it seems hard. 
God, I want, you see what I'm saying? We have this conversation with God. We seek God and his people by spending time with his people and talking about God and our relationship with him and his word. That's one of the reasons we want you to get together, to be involved in a life group, to be involved in a Bible study, to be involved, because that's another way that you seek the Lord. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we need to seek him. Let's just talk about the same things then. What is the purpose of life? What's, what's life about? I need to seek God in that, don't I? I need to have a biblical understanding, God's view, understanding of life and what it's about. When it comes to what's right and what's wrong, God, I need you not only to teach my mind, but I need you to tenderize my heart here to where I love what you love and I hate what you hate. You know, when it comes to my money, God, what do you want me to do with it? You know, God may want you to uh, save more of your money than you are currently now. He might want you to um, invest and spend your money in some way to accomplish something that you're not doing right now. He might want you to um, give more to somebody someplace, whatever. But God, I want to know. I want to know. What, what do you want? I'm seeking you, Lord, about what to do with my money. Uh, my decisions. God, what's, what is your mind about this decision? And, and so not only do I get in your word, I go to godly people that I trust and seek their counsel. And, and, and then, God, am I doing with my life what I'm supposed to be doing? You know, you, you have a career and you're pursuing that career. Could it be that God wants you to Leave that career and do something else. Do a different career. Maybe, crazy thought, maybe he wants you to quit that job and go study, prepare, and become a missionary to take the gospel to somewhere else in the world. I don't think about that one. But my point to you is if you are diligently seeking the Lord, you must think about that one. That must always be on the table. What do you want me to do with my life, God? People, your relationship with people. Lord, how do I look at people? (laughs) How am I supposed to see them? Some of those people irritate me, Lord. And Lord, Jesus says, yeah, well, you irritate them too. But he said, no, change your perspective on them. Value them. Love, love them the way I have loved you. Look at them the way I look at you. Forgive them the way I have forgiven you. You see, we're diligently seeking the Lord. And let me just give you a brief testimony about this. I was thinking about this in my own life. And, and uh, yesterday I was mowing the lawn and... Uh, listening to some Christian music as I did. And, and then I, I would say... It, I, the way I had some friends who came from a different religious background than me, but God got all over me yesterday while I was on the lawn. And I'm going back and forth, and I'm just crying. And I'm thinking, my neighbors probably think he really hates them. Oh, the lawn. <laughs> but it wasn't. I was thinking about this. How, how much God has rewarded me. I have not always sought the Lord the way I ought to. That's plenty of that. But I'm telling you that over the years, that when I came to Christ and then began pursuing this relationship with God, began trying to seek him, to know him. 
and the things that he's taught me, the things he's showed me, and the way we've aligned our lives according to what God says, you know, and there's still plenty to go. Don't hear me saying that I've got to pray. That isn't the point. In fact, I guess it is part of the point that I'm not perfect in this. But I can tell you what, that, that God has so rewarded me in my life. And there have been some really hard times. But through it all, God has been there. And I got to tell you, it's just like what happened yesterday. Every now and then, God just steps in closer and says, I'm here. I'm working. Hang in there. It's worth it. I wouldn't trade anything in the world for that. It's absolutely worth it. Absolutely. And so when it comes to pleasing God, faith is essential. You can't please him apart from it. So we need to live and grow in our faith. It's crucial. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for how you've worked in our lives and that you, this very faith that you've said we have to have to please you, that you enable it in us. We can choose to believe. Thank you for that. Father, help us to see, not just today with our, our minds, but with our hearts, how valuable it is to believe you. To start with the fact that you are existing, you are existed in every moment, in every place of our entire lives. And that it's worth it to seek you in a relationship with you and seeking to live the way you want us to live. That is so worth it. Help us to see, Father, as we go out of here, today and this week, how futile everything else is, how shallow everything else is. So I just say thank you for working and teaching us these things. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.